Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, accredited investment fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. We're so pleased you could join us today. Uh, I have a guest with us I think is going to be absolutely terrific. Uh, his name is Tom West. Uh, he is a colleague of mine on the East Coast in, in Virginia, the Washington, D.C. area. I heard Tom speak at a function my firm had in Los Angeles about a month ago, and he spoke on a topic that was incredibly near and dear to me because I've dealt with it personally and I deal with it professionally a lot. This is the situation of... Um, when folks uh, need medical care as, as, their, as their health maybe deteriorates uh, at various stages in life, some earlier than you might expect, or perhaps there's some type of diminution in capacity. Uh, I had to take care of both my parents, also my uh, grandmother who predeceased my mom, had to step in as a caregiver at a very young age, which was really awkward and I wasn't prepared. But since that time, I've had multiple clients we probably have five six seven clients dealing with this right now and we're dealing with the dynastic issues of the family and and all these issues so i'm chatting a lot here but i want to introduce tom west who's a senior partner with seia uh signature estate and investment advisors and he's really developed an incredible process around that he took my thinking to another level and i thought it would just be great to share because we have so many families right in the throes of it, concerned about it, or someday that's coming and they want a process around that before it's too late. So with that uh, incredibly long introduction, Tom, I want to introduce you, welcome you, and, and turn Thanks, it over Robert. to you. Thanks, uh-huh. Robert. And, you know, you make me feel good about myself. It's it's always nice to start a podcast with a with a generous introduction. So I appreciate all that. Happy to be here. Well earned. Yeah. Great. Um, so talk to me about, um, my goodness, you presented Demography is Destiny, the Risk and Opportunity of Aging Investors, our brave new world. Just tell me what's uh, what's going on, what you're seeing and what you and your team are doing to address this, your approach. Take, take it away. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that the big piece that, that you saw, Robert, was sort of the crystallization of a lot of the work that I'd been doing. Um, and it's best encapsulated with this idea. For the first time in 2022, American retirees have shifted their top concern in retirement from running out of money to health-related concerns. So it used to be, Robert, for your career, for my career, for, for the number one concern of American retirees was, am I going to have enough, particularly if I live to a long age? And that is still far and away the number two concern of American retirees. But just recently, there's been a shift 
The biggest thing that American retirees are concerned about is healthcare. And this sort of plays a little bit into where I've directed, gosh, a lot of my career, a lot of my nonprofit work for the handful of uh, decades that I've been working on this stuff, where I've really tried to zero in in my wealth management practice on how families have to manage shifting priorities as a result of changes in health or ability, and then how you and I as, as financial advisors can take that into account and meet our senior clients sort of where they are in their own story and figure out the best way to serve them as their own financial needs are changing. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. Yeah. I see it so much. We get these calls. Sometimes we could see a little diminution in capacity or healthcare. Sometimes clients just tell us that, but it's on everyone's mind. There, there's just no question or people, healthy people in their fifties and sixties are really thinking, where, where am I going to be, you know, a decade or two from now, or they should be thinking about that. And, and we're, we're just dealing with it one-on-one -on -one with a lot of clients right now where their priorities shift. They're mm -hmm. not that concerned about their returns, which investments, whatnot they are. They're just trying to make it through the day, whatever challenges. And they, then they really want to turn over some delegation to someone who gets it, or maybe, maybe the portfolios being um, being drained quickly of um, of resources because they're paying for elder care, someone in the home, or other medical expenses. It, we had one like this recently. I, I had just returned from a vacation, and I noticed there was a, what's called a debit in an account because there was an ACH going out to some healthcare provider that the the family hadn't let me know about. Mm -hmm. I, I was aware of their situation. But I needed it to free it up real quick so those that healthcare provider could be, um, you know, paid. And so right. I did that very quickly. Subsequently, I sent a quick note to to you know the daughter who's a power of attorney and said, by the way, you know, um, hey, we had to free this up real quick. We'll free up some more funds, but uh, you know, give us a little heads up. But now I check the account regularly. And I have to move on that kind of stuff. And they're they're fine with how we do it. They just want to pay those expenses and we know it's coming out. So we try and keep adequate cash there. But uh, that's a real shift from a um, – this is both the the wife and the husband are, are having issues. The uh, husband had a sort of a brain cancer issue, has been dealing with for a long time. Then the wife, who was the caregiver for many years um, and quite a bit younger, had a stroke. <laughs> mm. So um, all of a sudden, things evolve and circumstances change and, and people's priorities change. So we're, we're used to do, dealing with that. We see it pretty routinely, um, but it's great to have a process around that. So why don't you carry on some more because you've got – you sure. So much experience in this space, yeah. Well, I, I think that the that the there's a few things that you and your client circumstances are sort of illust, illustrative of of larger trends. Um, you know, if we if we agree with the idea that when there's a change in health or a change in ability, I always like to remind families that you've got a new set of priorities and a new set of urgencies, and that basically means like the status quo, what you've been planning for and around prior to these changes in health, well, it's no longer relevant. And I think that's something that all of us sometimes have a hard time accepting, that as we go through life, 
and particularly in older and retirement when 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 abilities change is that um you know your priorities change sometimes pretty significantly the second thing robert about your story which is interesting is one of the biggest challenges that i think families have is they personally are the ones responsible for liaising in reacting to their health and their housing needs and and being the conduit to sort of speak to the financial professionals like the 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 healthcare needs and all of their attendant costs and all of the things that you talked about you know it's usually on a, a, an extra burden on the family to try to figure out in the moment where to quickly grab funds to be able to cover for expenses that they might not have had a lot of experience paying in previous chapters of their life and you know your experience as an advisor is, hey, there's all of a sudden a debit in the account. We didn't talk about this before. What's going on? Is everything, and you know, you're on top of things where you know the circumstance, you already have the legal authorities for successor decision makers built. That's great. But unfortunately, it's 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 a it's sort of a regular risk that families have, which is, you know, any of the planning that they had for how their wealth is going to serve them kind of goes out the window when you're short of cash at the end of a caregiving month and you just have to grab something that's handy without necessarily going through a more regimented process. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're poised to go through the holdings and make decisions to free up the cash. And we have a process around that, but once we get in a rhythm, sometimes it's just getting first alerted that there's an issue going on. I can recall one one wild one that these are actual situations, but I had a uh, I have a woman. She's been taking RMDs. She's in her eighties. Um, sometimes she's real concerned about the performance. At one point, I said, "You're getting close to your RMD number." And this is after we talked for for a long time. She she finally divulged to me sort of a moment of truth. She goes, "You know, I have this stage of cancer. I don't really care about if we." And I was like, wow, okay. She she had not shared that with me prior. Usually they do share that, but it it put a whole new frame around you know what we're doing and where we're right. going. Right. And other stuff I see that's so telling is just um boy, when people have to deal with, you know, when they're caring for these aging parents or an or a spouse, boy, how incredibly draining it is on the um the other spouse or the adult child who's taking care, how much that can just run them down. They're looking for help for sure. So we get that. We're just trying to make it easier for them to get through their, all of a sudden this big responsibility, but it can really stress them out. And we, you know, I've tried to emphasize to those folks to get some recovery, get some respite, but it's, it's, it's difficult um, when you're caring for someone and it's very impactful on their own health and, we see it a lot. So we're, we're alerted to that, but back to you, it sounds like you, you see the same kind of issues. I do. Know? And I mean, the, the, the two pieces that I think are, 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 are worth commenting on with, with your background. The first one is caregiver burnout is, is real. It's sort of a silent epidemic where, you know, the, the, you, we certainly can sort of empathize with anybody that's taken care of somebody like you have, I have with, with my family, when, when you don't know how long somebody is going to live and you're not sure how much care they're going to need in the moment, it's very difficult to sort of decide now is the time that 
I, 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 I take a little bit less responsibility just to take care of myself and maybe hire somebody or maybe reach out for different family, friends, or resources. I think the other piece with sort of caregiver burnout is when people get really taxed, you know, whether it's sleep and stress and all of those sorts yeah. of pieces, it, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to start projecting forward and starting to think about multiple different scenarios in the future. So one of the pieces that I always try to think about with decision makers that are under a lot of stress is maybe aid them in mm -hmm. helping to manage the range of expectations that a chronic illness might take their 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 patient, their loved one, and them. So when we we're you started, I think our conversation, Robert, with the idea. Let's let's talk a little bit about process. My big thesis, and 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 for the audience, I, I trademarked a financial planning process called the life care affordability planning, and basically the idea was once there was a diagnosis or a change in health and someone has lessened ability, whether it's physical, cognitive, or whatnot. And in particular, if we need to plan ahead for some additional supports and services, basically the thesis is this, that healthcare prognosis and plan of care is going to be a major driver in your financial behavior from that point forward. It, while we're always worried and anxious sometimes as caregivers about how the finances are going to support the cost of medical expenses and the cost of living for, for survivors as well, it's, it's, it's always incumbent, um, I think, on this life care affordability plan to work through where a particular diagnosis and plan of care might might take a family. So and I'll be specific. Let's say, for example, that, you know, your couple that you were talking about, Robert, that the the the, the main priority that they have is to stay at home for as long as possible. That's mm -hmm. the main priority. And it's a regular one. So what life care affordability planning as a process would do is say like, okay, that's, I want to meet you where you are, even though I think the clinical and the diagnostic future for you might not be supportive of being at home for any of a number of reasons. Let's meet you where you are and let's figure out what is the best way to take care of you at home for as long as possible. And what that does is it engages the caregiver and the patient and the family to rally around where the priority is right now. And mm -hmm. does this mean that we have to think about changing around beds, Hoyer lifts? Are we needing to do more universal design things? If there's a wheelchair, is there turnaround space and landings? If there's memory care and wandering, do we, we, do we change the way that the doors open and close? Like what, what is, what do the experts say is the way to keep you as safe and as independent given your particular diagnosis and plan of care? And we want to use that as a jumping off point for our process, meeting our client where they are. It's really only after we address that particular path where the, 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 your client is most hopeful for that we can then start thinking about, well, what about alternatives? Well, if that doesn't work out, you know, how could your priorities change? Well, in case something physically doesn't sort of work out, somebody's not mobile, I can't use stairs and whatnot. The next most important priority is maybe if we have to go somewhere, we go somewhere together. Even if we don't have symmetrical needs, 
if mm -hmm. somebody's got physical problems and the other person's got cognitive problems, what exists in terms of different locations that, that we might be able to go together? Because that's the next most important priority. And notice that the priorities have changed. Before we start thinking about all the financial and the legal things that we need to keep somebody at home, and if that yep. doesn't work, the next priority is we got to go somewhere together. And Robert, you know, on the financial advisory side of things, that's an entirely different problem. That means there's a real estate transaction. You have to think about different cash flows, different liquidity needs, different tax circumstances, all of those things. But for the client, you want to move from the outcome that they're most hopeful for because you got to meet them where they are. And then you can start thinking about where you might go together. And look, in, in this particular spot in greater Los Angeles, I'm making it up, with your condition and your zip code and where family is, there's really a limited number of different options where you can go together given your different needs. And it's these three places. And when you drill into them, you can see a little bit more like, look, if we move in, it's not going to be any more expensive than this, and it's not going to be any less expensive than this. And those particular parameters, you can enter in to a robust financial planning scenario. And what we're doing is we're starting to range bound the different circumstances that the client might be living through. And what you're doing is you're helping them sort of front run decisions that might come down the road that they might not really want to face by themselves in the abstract, but with some guided, trusted advice and conversation, particularly that is responsive to the a specific diagnosis and a specific plan of care and a specific geography, then I think that you're what you're doing is you're enabling your client to have more agency and more control over a period of their life where they might not feel as in control as they would have otherwise. And, and, you know, sometimes like, you know, lastly, we've, we've gone in my changing priority conversation from, you know, I want to stay at home as long as possible to where do we go together to what does it mean to manage a dignified dying process? Yeah. And what are the things that we need to accomplish before somebody dies that give you the best outcome? And and sometimes what I've learned, and this is a lot of work that I've done sort of in the hospice space or in the dementia space, a lot of resistance to this kind of planning has to do with, you know, the idea of, 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 of how negative and sometimes depressing some of these things are. But I'll share with you, and I know the audience can know this too, there is a lot of hope and joy and love sometimes that people are experiencing in these challenging life circumstances that you really want to zero in on as an advisor, as a friend, as somebody, as a family member, somebody that's giving mm -hmm. support, because those are the places that we can help families most positively engage and move forward. Because Robert, think of the alternative from a planning standpoint, whether it's a personal planning from a family or professional like what we do. If you start from the scariest, most negative thing, if you were to have a conversation with your client with the, with the brain problems and the stroke, and you were going to go right into like, well, let me tell you how bad it could be. And we got to plan for the worst case scenario possible. And we got to put our seatbelts on and the helmet. And like, and you just go all DEFCON 5. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I know, and there's tons of research that backs this up. Normal people just shut down. 
Like I've, yeah. I've already got to make it through my day. The last thing I need is to get pounded on about all the stuff that I'm at. I, I have this low to mid-level anxiety around to begin with, but it also gets a little bit into brain function, like the caregivers, the family under stress. If, if you come from sort of a fear and an anxiety producing place to sort of move them through in a, in an effective decision-making process, it, it shuts down. It, it like, you need, there's, yep. there's cortisol wash with, with being under stress, you become more fight or flight. And that yep. just, that just doesn't move people effectively through consideration of their options. But the difference when you start with something where you're more hopeful, what are the things that you're most hopeful for? I'm hoping that I can stay at home, even if it's a real low probability that that's going to work out. That's where we need to meet people first. Give people the opportunity to imagine, to use different parts of their brain where they can bounce around different options and fully explore that. I think one of the pieces that I learned when I worked my way through this process with, with families and part of what, what made it so important to, to trademark and differentiate it is, you know, one of my first cases was an older gentleman that was absolutely resistant to moving his wife to an assisted living facility for all of the reasons that, that we know just off the top of our head. And we took the approach of, all right, we're not talking about assisted living. Let's talk about the thing that you said is most important. Let's keep her here and figure out how to do that. And then we hired a care manager. We took a look at different contractors. We did an assessment of his health and how that could change because he had some balance problems himself and he wasn't going to be physically able to sort of be the secure backstop in case his wife physically needed some extra support. And we like we went so thoroughly with the gentleman like, well, what about traveling doctors? Well, what about transportation? Well, what about getting a backup generator? And we listed everything out that we can like, and we, we went deep on it. And at the end of all of this, he said like, listen, nobody, including my kids were willing to go through this process with me. The, the, what I was being told was how bad things are going to get and why you have to go immediately to the worst case scenario first. And I'm just resistant. I'm, you know, I love my wife. I'm sort of feeling defensive about things, but because you took the time to go through the thing that was most important to me with keeping her at home, I had the opportunity to process what would work and what couldn't work about that. And the story ended with him accepting a transition with the two of them mm -hmm. to assisted living, but we never would have got there. And the, the, the adult daughter is, is, is comes, comes, comes up to us afterwards. Like, I have no idea how you did it, but he's completely turned around. And what was interesting, I think the response, and I've got a few professionals on staff, some, one of which used to work in senior housing and healthcare. Um, we both went back to the daughter and said like, we didn't do anything. He's the one that did it. He just yeah. needed to have a guided process to work through what he's most hopeful for and to see for himself what you need to do to achieve that. And then you can either sort of accept reality as it is and sort of move on. But but that's basically, I think, a much more productive way to move families through these shifting priorities and circumstances. And I think it elevates our capacity to serve our clients at a higher standard. 
That is so, so on point and so well said. Let me just, just reflecting on this, you know, to pe people who've lived for any time and accumulated some assets, they, they understand these things can happen. They've seen it happen to friends. The point is to have this process, to have it done methodically. You talk about meeting them where they're at. That's huge. You don't want to Scare, scare the crap out of them. They, they may already be feeling a lot of anxiety or worry about this. But I, I think of things like the estate planning documents, you know, laying out all this or, or things like the power of attorney, you know, which is really important. And I've literally been someone who was a power of attorney, had to look at that document while we were making critical life decisions. You know, there's a lot of stress around that. And so to think about it methodically, when you are well-rested, you are in a functional state to have a process ahead of time so that one's wishes could be expressed and to think through it clearly and the, the, the comfort that comes with, with knowing uh, there is a process in place and a team to guide you through that mm -hmm. uh, before you're in a crisis situation where you talk about cortisol, you know, that's just a euphemism for, for the brain triggering a whole lot of stress, which generally does not lead to good decisions. Right. Your heart rate elevates, you're in fight or flight. Think it through, you know, it's, it's like the plane. They say, put that oxygen mask on yourself first before you go save your child. But they run through a protocol, you know, ahead of time that we all kind of tune out. But what to do if something happens and I think to walk them through that is probably really comforting. Um, so there is there is a little bit of a plan of attack and that you've dealt with it. So please ca carry on. This is just so, so on point. And I'm glad you've developed and refined and optimized this process. I, I deal with it every day too. I haven't patented the process, but um, I really respect what you're doing. And I think it's a huge, huge value uh, for your clients to know that's in place. Um, just so much stuff you talked about, dignified dying. I mean, we're not even at that point yet, but you know, this society has a pretty, pretty interesting relationship with death, right? We found out in COVID, we're not really that evolved in some respects. So why not make it dignified, you know? Sure. Um, sure. Any rate, you go on because you, you got a lot of expertise to share. So please. Well, I think, um, <clears throat> I think another piece when you're talking a little bit about powers of attorney, I'll just hover for a second on the idea of successor decision makers. I always like asking my clients, who do you think is in charge of your uh, decisions, whether they're healthcare decisions or their property decisions in case you're not able to. And the reason I ask it that way is I get a whole lot more useful information than asking who's serving as your power of attorney or the person that's managing your advanced directives or who's your successor trustee. Because if you phrase it that way, and, and for, for consumer audiences that are listen, listening, think about the question this way, who do you think is in charge? Because all of a sudden you come up with some different associations with, well, is the person that might have to make decisions for me, are they ready? Are they willing? Do they have the information? Do they have access to stuff? Are other family members going to support them? Because all of those kinds of things are separate and independent on who a family actually writes into their document. Now, 
hopefully this, they're the same people and hopefully everybody has access and expertise and availability and those sorts of things. But I, I, I always like from a professional standard standpoint to go through the idea of who do you think's in charge? How do you think that's going to work? Because as advisors or as family members, you can get a lot of good information around that. Like, listen, my daughter's in charge, but she's not going to do anything without checking with her older brother about money stuff first, even though the older brother isn't the financial power of attorney. So, okay, that's helpful because, you know, what I'm trying to do as an advisor or what family members should be doing themselves is these are kind of the necessary and the sufficient steps to make effective decisions under stress. You got to model that out. And the other piece yeah. too, sometimes that, that Robert, that you got to think about is whatever was happening before somebody has lessened ability. Don't mm -hmm. assume that that's how it's going to be Yeah. after a change, everything resets. I think that, that one of my big gospels that I preach to our industry, to the financial services industry is when something happens, whether it's a diagnosis or a change in ability, you have to completely reprofile your client. Any of the stuff yeah. that like they were talking about before, like retirees, supporting grandkids, legacy plan, the rest of it. Mm -hmm. When there is a change, families might not even be completely aware of all of the different things that have changed along with that new circumstance. I'd encourage any of us in the financial advice community when your client is sort of reacting to a new circumstance. And I mean, sometimes it can be as obtuse as I'm filing a new power of attorney so I can talk to Robert about my investments. Um, but sometimes it can be things a little bit more subtle, you know, like clients are a little bit less engaged to talk about investments and taxes and whatnot. But I, I think that the idea of almost requiring a robust new profiling of clients, mm -hmm. okay, what's your new liquidity need? What's your new tax situation? One thing that that a lot of times people forget is if they're spending 100, 200 grand a year on long-term care costs, their tax circumstances has changed dramatically. So many of these expenses are itemized medical expense deductions. And you know, before yeah. a healthcare need, nobody cares because it's usually everybody's inside their standard deduction unless you itemize. But all of a sudden you get this giant medical expense deduction. And that changes significantly how, you know, as a professional, Robert, how you need to yep. invest. Like, what do you need municipal bonds for anymore if you don't owe taxes right. because the deductions are so big? How come <laughs> you're withholding taxes on your pension when you don't owe any taxes anymore and you're short of cash all the time? Like, those right. are some of the things that I think we as financial professionals need to raise our standard of awareness because we can't count on the clients to be reliable narrators, not just of their health circumstance, but also all the things that change for their financial priorities along the way. It's mm -hmm. our responsibility to meet them where they are and to be able to translate that with them, but for them as much as anything else into actionable financial decisions that can sort of drive better outcomes. Yes, yeah, so so true, or or may, maybe even accelerating distributions from an IRA. Perfect. Normally, exactly. th that would be taxable, but yep. if there's not a tax issue, we can push it out, avoid that ten-year distribution rule, uh, you know, or re reduce that for the uh, 
the beneficiaries, but they, by, by the point they're deep in the process, they, they may understand that they may not even get that anymore. We're just looking out as fiduciaries exactly, and understanding someone needs to step up and, and take, take action. And someone is really looking out for them. And, and boy, that really plays into the, the depth of the relationship and, and why it matters. You're really taking over and, you know, hey, I have a quick question. How many, I don't know if you could break this down, but it is interesting too, sometimes when when these get triggered and you're actually doing this and the family members come in and hopefully you have a good relationship with them. Um, but boy, sometimes you find out who's really the functional family and who isn't. And oh, I've, good um, Lord. <laughs> yes, good Lord. I just thank my lucky stars and knock on wood. I've almost exclusively had really functional families. Although obviously the stories I've heard about people dealing with siblings, but boy, is that a moment of truth? And you usually see one of the, uh, one of the adult children step in and do the bulk of the work, but all that comes out of the woodwork. And, uh, I don't know if you've, we've, I've been really blessed to have mostly functional Thank, thank goodness. But it, you know, as someone who's, um, you know, raising a family. I just can't imagine if you were in that position and then your adult kids were fighting over this stuff. Boy, what a what a disappointment with that would be. But we I don't know. Do you you probably deal with both, but um yeah, you, you I see that, it come into play. <laughs> I think I mean there's sort of I had three thoughts. The first one is, you know, I always I always find it helpful to sort of categorize all of us. I, I'd say our senior clients, but this goes to you know, all of us fall into three general categories in terms of, 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 of behaviors. We're planners or we're procrastinators or we're crashers. That's how colloquially the senior housing and healthcare industry characterizes people that onboard into their system. And the observation on the planners is, you know, Robert, we love us some planners as we're financial planners like we love our planner clients, but I'd give you the observation that they're probably planning with or without us. We can give them best practices. We can give them cool tools. We can coach them, but they're probably predisposed to planning ahead anyway. And, you know, I'll give sort of a swag. That's probably about 30% of people. There's another 20% of people on the other end of the spectrum that I'd call the crashers. And they don't do anything. And they, and, and, and sometimes people talk till they're blue in the face to try to get crashers to make any plans. And you know what? They don't because they're crashers. And when they have an accident or don't have a medication or are, are, are socially isolated and weird behaviors happen, like they're the ones very predictably are take up a huge amount of resources and are hugely taxing on extended family and whatnot. And I've found from the planners and the and the crashers on either end of the spectrum, this is regardless of wealth. There are there are planners that are very modest in terms of their financial means or their education. And there are crashers that have tons of money and are extremely educated and should know yeah. better, but they just don't. So it's uncorrelated to wealth. But what is interesting is the people in the middle, the procrastinators. And I always like to think, you know, from my career and what I aspire for is how do we help the procrastinators? Because to our ears as financial professionals, 
they're always sensitive and give us the nods on, hey, listen, we need to plan ahead. What about insurance? What about the documents? What about getting our portfolio together? How about we go hire Tom with life care affordability planning to work it all out? I live in a life plan community, any of that sort of stuff. And procrastinators, they always sound good to us on the professional side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I should totally do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that tomorrow. That's like a fantastic idea. And they're sensitive to it, but you know what? They they don't put it together. That's because they're procrastinators. And procrastinators sometimes sound like they're planning friendly, but they Mm -hmm. don't plan because they're procrastinators. And the reason I sort of set this up is you asked sort of a question about functional and dysfunctional families. We get a lot of folks because of this expertise of dealing with crashers and procrastinators that are not fully prepared. My practice has a lot of onboarding of folks that don't have it all together. And sometimes it's how do we stitch, you know, the stronger links of the chain together to account for the weak link that they missed? Maybe it's a legal document. Maybe their kids are not up to speed. Maybe the 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 the, the house is a, is a complete mess and you know, that can't possibly be a setting of care. And we try to stitch together the strong points of the family circumstance and to account for the weak point. And that's where we, a lot of times we live with procrastinators. And then the the last piece on the crashers, this is, I'm just, this is realistic. Like you're not changing the mind of a crasher, even in the middle of a crash, whether it's denial or obstinance or whatever it is, this is like 20% of the population. I figure about 50% is procrastinators in the middle. But what we do with crashers is like we've had to shift our thinking to how do you rescue the people that are trying to take care of the yeah. crasher? And whether it's money or support or networking or whatever it ends up being, what you're trying to do is you're trying to minimize the damage personally, family-wise, wealth-wise, around the crash. And that's that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to immunize everybody from the damage. So that's a long response to yeah. how you started with functional and dysfunctional families. I, I would think that crashers sometimes are just dysfunctional people that have families. <laughs> so yeah, that that's, oh. that's, yeah, that's different than the families themselves being dysfunctional. But I always... I always like to 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 sort of think like, look, if loosely speaking, only 30% of folks have all the stuff buttoned up, most of the messy middle, the rest of us, and I'm sort of even personally messy in aspects of my personal life, there's usually a weak link. There's something that I could really use an extra set of objective eyes outside of the family, somebody that's not conflicted, somebody that can double check Tom and his biases and his wife's biases. And even though I do this professionally, you can't always successfully do surgery on yourself. And I always think the idea of having an interdisciplinary group of trusted advisors that can give guidance when we age into a new circumstance we know that, Robert, we know that we're in the business of probabilities, not certainties. That's, I think, one of the best ways to increase the probabilities of the best outcomes for people. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, we, I have a process I've developed and refined. I call it FORM, 
uh, F-O-R-M, a family, occupation, recreation, and the money that makes it all happen. But at the heart of it is family. Uh, it's really important that we know our clients' families. We want to know what's going on, uh, their children, adult children, whatnot. We get to know them. Then if something happens, a lot of times they'll reach out to us and say, by the way, uh, mom or dad sounds really with it, but they're they're not, we're noticing some diminished capacity or that's how I got the heads up on the stroke right? Uh, that the other was not willing to tell us. So, you know, and on so many other levels to introduce us to your, we will, family is just so important to us. So we would love to work with those folks if it's appropriate or have a relationship. It's going to come into play later. I, I remember Years ago, and I've been doing this north of 25 years now with second and third generation clients, but the very first time, so this patriarch of the family looked me in the eye and I was, you know, this was like 20 years ago. I was a lot nowhere near as uh, into my career and said, you know, I know you've got this. You're looking out for us. We trust you. But this is not so much about me. This is about you taking care of my my spouse when she goes uh, or when I go, uh, my children. And that was, so I got that. Now I've heard that on many of occasions. And so he passed away. His wife passed away really quickly thereafter. I've dealt with their adult children, you know, but that introduction who knew the family dynamics and to coordinate that process, um, is just so important. I've got a 102 year old right now, incredible they ought to study him at at uh, the universities for for what a centenarian can do but he's he's dealing with some finally some health challenges and his adult daughter who's 68 we've been connected for a long time but it's a true gift because they can begin to care for them and step right into our you know relationship and have us looking out so and then tom to your point about procrastinators it reminds me of the old adage uh I guess when the when the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. So right. uh, sometimes it's just it comes when it's ready. But those are amazing points. Um, I know we're getting a little little long in terms of um, podcasts that we usually run here, but this this discussion has been so great. Any other um, any other points? Maybe we didn't cover. And I know you you go very deep on so there's. There's a lot of things, but anything you really want to share that you feel is really um, if we haven't covered or go deeper on something that we well, should, I'll we close should up, share. I'll close up. I'll close up with with one last idea. I think that um, I read somewhere. I need to attribute it one of these days. I read somewhere that one aspect of of leadership is being able to define reality and be able to say this is how things are right now so that people can take action. You know, the reality that we live in right now in this country is you've got a rapidly aging boomers and older generation that's basically all hitting these years at the same time. We know that post-COVID, the senior housing and healthcare industry has really been turned upside down and families are going to all be competing for scarce resources all at the same time. And I think that I would sort of close on this. Um, I appreciate Robert very much, you know, your continued interest on the intersection of health, family and finance. I think all of us from a very hopeful way 
are going to be able to find whether it's processes or different kinds of solutions because you know the reality is it will be required of us as individuals mm-hmm. as families as a country but that's basically my closing thought this isn't something for a narrow band of the population this is for a huge number of americans and again i'd close with where i started we've just moved into a place in this country where retirees are more worried about healthcare than anything else and we know the financial implications come next and how do we get families to be most effective in their decision making and how do we as financial professionals support them that's really moving to where the puck's going to be yeah boy i love that that's the old wayne gretzky analogy of uh you know how do you be successful in hockey not not where it is where it's going so we see it this has been such a great discussion um we ran a little longer than normal, but the time absolutely flew by. Um, your your thoughts and wisdom and advice and expertise are just completely invaluable. So I'm really proud this is a resource we can share with clients. And uh, boy, I may ask you to come back for part two at some point if that's not infringing too much on your time, because I, I, you know, I've been doing this so long i don't have to do this anymore i'm guessing you don't really have to do it at your stage of life the reality is you get to do it and then when you're helping people through these kinds of issues these are real life matters that really matter and they need some help and they appreciate it and you just know you're doing the right thing and a a really valuable service to to you know your fellow um fellow uh, friends and colleagues and clients, et cetera. So just amazing. I so applaud that you've developed it and I think it's great. And it, um, I'm sure people are attracted to your practice for that reason. Cause you've, you've uh, kind of solved that, that puzzle, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. Tom. Really, well, I pre- really appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Great. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, Please like this or share it, by the way. If you know someone who's going through or maybe they are that procrastinator, please share that. If they want to have a conversation with us and just explore these issues, uh, please share it. It's a resource. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Signature Estate and Investment Advisors, LLC, SEIA, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. However, such registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training, and no inference to the contrary should be made. Securities offered through Signature Estate Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through SEIA LLC, 2121 Avenue of the Stars, Suite 1600, Los Angeles, California, 90067. Telephone number 310-712-2323.